Welcome to episode 28 of Speak Better. I'm Rebecca Lindquist, also known as Lindquist the Linguist, and this podcast is all about how to communicate more clearly, more effectively for both native and non-native speakers. Whether your first language is English or not, there are ways that we can improve our accent and dialect potentially, our elocution, our enunciation, our clarity, our messaging. We'll be talking about a lot of different topics, including posture, articulation, exercises you can do, voice quality. But today's episode is going to get us into accent, especially foreign accents. I'd like to focus today on commonalities in accent when acquiring an American English one. So this is primarily about what can anyone do differently if their first language, that person's first language, is not American English. So whether it's another form of English, like Scottish or British or any other dialect of English, or maybe they have a foreign accent. And we are going to be digging deeper in future podcasts and talking about people who have various first languages, whether it's an Indian language or Chinese, a tonal language, Vietnamese or Thai, Spanish, Korean, Russian. We'll dig into all of that. But today's episode specifically is about commonalities. What I mean by that is, aren't there some things that if your first language isn't American English, it would be good to know? Now, we've danced around this topic before. We have talked about it, but we haven't gone specifically into the idea of a commonality. So what are some things that I noticed? And I have to tell you, to give you some context, that I have been working with non-native speakers who have accents and want to change them with intense coaching for about 25 years. And I call it intense because most people I work with don't want to be stuck doing this forever. A lot of them are adults. They already speak English. They have full-time jobs, lives, families, and they don't want to spend all their time working on their speech. So they dedicate a couple of months to it right before they get a big promotion, they move into marketing or sales, they end up moving to the U.S., or they find out that they've been promoted to some really high visibility position. Whatever it might be, it's super important for them to improve their accent for some reason. Maybe it's just the time in life when they've decided to make it happen. But the idea is that they need to do whatever it takes to sound more clear in American English. Now, I have found, yes, there are differences depending on their first language. Not as obvious as you would think. Not as prevalent as you would think. Because everyone tends to do some of the same things differently than American speakers do. So the first thing I want to talk about is your jaw. We as Americans control the sound with our jaw. And what I mean by that is your jaw is loose and drops. We call it lax articulation. And I'm exaggerating so you can hear it. What I'm doing is using my jaw. Now, let's say instead of my jaw, I were to control with my lips. Now, I'm not trying to do a particular accent. I'm just going to go for lip control right now and start using my lips a lot and emphasizing the lip movement over the jaw movement. Do you hear how the sound is morphing and changing? Again, I'm not doing a specific accent. I'm not trying to sound like someone. All I'm doing is controlling with the lip. So if you have a lot of lip tension, if your first language controls with the lip, which many languages do, then simply switching to jaw control by releasing those tight lips is going to make a huge difference. 
Why do you have to do this? Well, our vowels, like the ah, as in the word not, is really long with a dropped jaw. If you don't drop your jaw and you use your lips and say not, not, that's very different than not. In fact, it kind of sounds like note or nut. Those words all start to sound alike if you don't use the jaw. You also might think about our O sound. We don't have a short O. So the word note is made with the jaw. It's an O that morphs into a U in, again, a standard sort of American accent. Note. It's really long. But if you say not, not, that is going to get a lot of huh? You know, some people aren't going to catch that. So you really need to exaggerate those sounds if you are a non-native speaker who happens to have a lot of lip tension. Well, what can you do about that? Just knowing that doesn't create any change. That's sort of the misnomer. A lot of people think, well, now that I know that, I can change it. Potentially, but what would you do differently? So the first thing you want to do differently is do that lip flutter that we worked on before when we talked about consonants like B's and P's, how we wanted to flare the lip out. The same is true for vowels. It's less important to flare the lip, but it is important to get rid of the lip tension. So you take your lips and you just go lip flutter. How slow can you go? Can you make that lip flutter slower? Play around with it. And then as you do it, can you make a sound like I do this a lot with voice quality. So when we were talking about voice earlier, I like to do this exercise. I mentioned it to you because the throat opens. And when the throat opens, and as opposed to squeezing and closing, it just gives you more resonance, more comfort. There's an ease with it. There are other reasons to do this. However, if specifically you want to drop your jaw, it's a great way to start doing that by eliminating the lip tension. So that's one thing you can do. You can, of course, do a series of jaw stretches that we talked about. If you have TMJ, I've been told by Dennis that this exercise is not bad for you, but if you hear a clicking noise, you have to do a slower motion and less motion, less range of motion. So a couple exercises that you do, there are videos, and you can look at my videos on YouTube or anyone else's that talks about jaw movement and release. It's really a jaw tension release. You start with a stretch, and you always want to start with a stretch. The one that I like to do is with the thumb and the pointer finger, you take the skin in between, the little folds of skin between your thumb and pointer, and put it right under your lip. And then you extend the fingers and hold onto your face, and then just drop your jaw and make the sound, ah. Now, in addition to that, take your fingers, dig into your jaw, and just keep opening it as wide as you can. It sounds like this, ah, and then you just hold it open for a couple of minutes. Breathe, inhale and exhale. Make sure you're not holding your breath. Now, after you've done that, you've kind of warmed up those jaw muscles, but you haven't really gotten all the muscles. And I find for some people, it is those low chin muscles, but for other people, it could be side muscles because there's a lot of muscles involved. So another thing that you can do is take one hand on the side of your neck. So you put your four fingers, not your thumb, on the side of your neck and put your thumb on your chin and you just gently pull. And then I take the other hand and I put my thumb on my cheek and my pointer finger on the other cheek. I'm doing this now as I'm talking to you. 
So again, one hand on your throat with the thumb. All the fingers are on your throat and the thumb is on your chin. And then the other hand, the thumb and pointer finger are on your cheekbones and then you just lift and open. And again, hold. That's gonna release all those middle muscles, not the deep low ones, but the middle jaw muscles. So after you've done all that stretching, it's really important to strengthen the jaw. And what I mean by that, like you're like, hmm, I think my jaw is pretty strong already. Well, there's a difference between being chronically tight and being strong. So how do you distinguish this? Well, you want your jaw to close and chew and do all those things with your teeth that you need to do, but you don't want to hold it tense when you're not using it, like when you're sleeping, when you're relaxing. So the way to do that, and I love this exercise, is to start by using resistance. So you take your thumbs and you press up. So you go under your chin and you gently take both thumbs and press up as you open. Now you'll find that's kind of hard to do if you're really pressing. It's easy to do if you don't press. So you press up, make it hard to open. Open as wide as you can, but make sure your neck is long and you don't hear clicking. So again, if you have TMJ and you hear clicking, then you just don't do quite as wide of a motion. So you slowly open. And then from here, you take your pointer fingers on both hands, take the thumbs away, your mouth is open, take your pointer fingers and press into your chin. So the chinny, chin, chin, the bottom of your chin, not underneath it, but right on it, not touching your lips, but down at the end of your chin. You take your pointer fingers and you press, and then you pull down, give resistance as you close. So let's do that again. Thumbs underneath your chin, give resistance. Press up as you open, make it hard to open. Stay open, change your finger position, but make sure your neck is long. You don't wanna squeeze back and lift your chin because you can hurt your neck. You press down now with your pointer fingers on your chin, but the front of your chin, not underneath it. Press down, give resistance and close and wiggle out the jaw. If you do that exercise every day, you're likely to get into the jaw to be able to release it and allow the vowels to be long. So that's a commonality almost all of my clients, regardless of their first language, have to work on jaw control. What else? Well, jaw control implies dropping the jaw, obviously, but also it makes the vowels longer. And I like to mention that if Americans watch a British movie, for example, even if we understand the accent, because some people do better than others, even if we do, we often have to slow it down or repeat it. Like I find myself going back, rewind, rewind, and watch it again and again in order to hear it because it happens so fast. Because British articulation, typically in many accents in England, are shorter, faster, and tenser. So you really have to lose the tension in the lips and use the jaw, and you can work on elongating your vowels. Now that's primarily in stressed syllables. So in other words, if you have a word like development, the eh gets long. Or that oh we talked about like notification, notify me, focus, motivate. That long O isn't motivate, focus, it's focus, motivate, notice, not notice. So you have to make that syllable longer and the vowel also has to be longer. So how do you change that? How do you fix it? Well, it could be a couple different things. Let me start with literally how to do it. 
and that is to have a rubber band. I like to use a packaging band. I use this with all my clients. And what happens is you take the band between your thumbs and you just pull it. And when you pull it, you elongate the sound. So you pull it on the first syllable, no, defy. And when I say defy more quickly, the band comes together. Or if I take a word like protein, notice how long the O is. I didn't say protein, I said protein, O-U. So you can practice pulling the band on those stressed syllables. The second problem you might have is not knowing which syllable to make longer. Is it protein or protein? So if you're not sure, you do need to look it up. And many first languages of the world don't have the same concepts on word stress. So you will want to use a good IPA dictionary, which we talked about in other episodes. A Cambridge, a Longman's, an Oxford, but make sure it's the American version. And it could be a hard copy. It could be online. It can be on your phone. Really doesn't matter. But you do have to have a good IPA dictionary. And that's important for anybody. Another commonality is many languages of the world are more phonetic than American English. That is, if a word is spelled with an O, it sounds like an O, especially if you speak Spanish. And we'll be talking about this again when we get to phonetic languages. Indonesian, I'm told, is similar. Uh, Languages where the spelling matches the sound. I believe Tagalog, most Filipino dialects are this way. Chinese folks don't have an issue because if you can read characters and associate the picture with the sound, it's pretty easy to just memorize a sound when you hear it and know that the spelling's different, but the sound is another way. And the same is true with tone and pitch. Uh, But we'll get into that again when we dive into some of the specific languages as first languages. But the idea here is that using the band will help you with the length. The other great use for the band, and I should probably do a whole episode on how to use the band, but the other thing is clustering words. So when you have a group of words, the last one tends to be longer. Am I exaggerating? Yes. But that's the best way to learn the pattern. If you try not to exaggerate, you tend to keep the same pattern. So using the band to cluster words and make the last one a little bit longer all the time is a great way to pick up the new pattern. Now, does that work if you just repeat something? Well, certainly it works to start by reading. So you read something, could be anything. I use inspirational quotes because they're uplifting. So you get the bang for the buck. You will be able to pronounce the words this way. You're learning a new way to pronounce, but you're also saying something that is motivationally helpful. And I think it's just an easier way. Motivational quotes tend not to have really difficult technical words and things like that. But you could do it with anything. You could do it with the newspaper, magazine, online stuff, anything you like. Some text in American English, group the words and keep the last one a little bit longer. Pause in between, and the last one is longer. You can work on your breathing, you can exhale. You should work on one thing at a time. If you try to work on everything, it's hard to get anything to change. So you've got the band, you've got the last word longer, you've been reading, then break away from the reading and try to talk and keep the last word a little bit longer. Free speech. Free speech is always harder because when you're trying to think, and come up with something to say, you're not also worried about how you sound. You're not worried about whether you have an accent. So if you decide to load that on cognitively and say, hey, I'm going to be worried about my accent and I'm going to speak, now you have two things to think about, which can feel like overload. So that's why you want to start with reading. When you master it, then move on to the speaking. I think the other problem with free speech is our personality gets in the way. 
we think, that doesn't sound like me. That feels weird. That feels different. It's another reason to record yourself so that you can go, ah, I do like the way that sounds. That sounds more native-like. It often sounds weird to us. We have habits because they're comfortable. So letting go of those habits can take time. Be gentle with yourself. It's important too. We've talked about a lot of commonalities. Individual sounds and so forth I'll save until we talk about different languages because there are some patterns there. We talked about curling your lips in and you have to flare them out. So depending on your first language, that might or might not be an issue. If you speak a language that has that sort of crystal clear flaring of the lip, you're probably okay. But for many languages of the world, Spanish, the Filipino languages we talked about, like Tagalog and other dialects, a lot of the Indian languages will curl the lip in and there'll be like a bouncing sound and the lips will touch when you speak. So you want to make sure that the lip curls out. I have a Vietnamese speaker with these issues now that I'm working with. So be very, very careful about not rounding the lips in. Make sure that you flare the lip. And I believe I mentioned this in another episode that the lip has three muscles, the orbicularis oris muscle. So you got to turn all of them out and that's why it may take some time. You'll want to do the fish exercise. And again, if you Google me on YouTube, I do the fish exercise. You squeeze your buccinators on the side of your mouth, flare your lips out and just make a fish movement very controlled. You do it a few times every day and pretend you're teasing some children, you know, entertaining them, being funny, and you're trying to pretend to be a goldfish or something or a guppy. And you're just taking your lips and you're going out and in, out and in, away from you, extend your lip out, squeeze the side cheeks, let go, and just go out a few times until you get a nice flare. And that's going to give you more control and more clarity when you speak. So if you sound muffled or people tell you that your voice sounds lazy in a way and some people describe their articulation as lazy, it could be because you're just not really using your articulators as much as you could be. That's very common. And those are the primary things. In fact, I've given you enough. I wouldn't want to overload you with too many primary things. I would also hearken back to when we talked about posture that almost everybody squeezes their neck too much. And of course, you don't want to wait until you get horrific neck pain to change that. So make sure you're pressing into your feet, grounding, allowing your neck to be long. This is important for native speakers too when we public speak. Because whenever we get nervous or there's pressure, there's an audience, and the heat is on, we tend to squeeze our neck. And we tend to go into fight or flight mode and be stressed out. And when you do that, the breath doesn't flow, it doesn't sound natural, and it sounds tight. And it sounds controlled and it can sound like you're uncomfortable, make you look nervous. So you just need to press into the feet, allow the spine to be long. Notice I never said take a deep breath. You didn't hear me say that. You take a nice, normal breath, not about deep. No one should hear you breathing. It's a gentle inhale through the nose and a gentle exhale as you speak. Those are my thoughts on commonalities in accent. Of course, there's a lot of specifics and we'll be getting to that in the next episode and I hope you're with me for it. See you then.